If you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Um, as Simon said, please do come and speak to us at the end. Uh, we'd love to get to know you a bit more. And we're going to continue our series on Revelation today. Um, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. But before I go ahead, uh, just a quick question um, for those of you uh, who are part of Jubilee. A question that we normally need to ask each other and ask ourselves as well. How is your walk with God? How is it going? Um, how do you feel you're walking with God? How is He your priority in everything that you do? Are you walking a holy life with Him? Um, or you think, mm, I'm not sure if I'm in the right place with Him. Because, you know, that can happen even as Christians. That can happen. It's not just like saved once and for all and that's it and everything is perfect and great. Um, there's quite a lot of things in life that can affect our walk with God. But we need to constantly be asking ourselves and bringing it before God of how is my walk with God? How is my devotion to Him? So I just thought I'd ask this question because as I was preparing a few days ago, I just felt that God prompted me with this question. So I thought, well, let me ask you guys as well. You don't have to answer to... Uh, you, you can shout out loud if you want to, but don't, please. Uh, but ask yourself, and as you go home, ponder on it and see how your walk is with God. Um, be honest with Him, because He knows it all anyway. <laughs> and uh, just before we go into Revelation, uh, Avril is here. It's great to have her here with us. Um, it's just so encouraging and amazing to see how people respond to God and the call of God. Um, I remember a few years ago um, when they were still in uh, sunny Teesside before they moved to sunny Spain, um, that one of the Iranian guys uh, came to me and said, they are English, aren't they? And I said, who do you mean? Peter and Avril. I said, yes, as far as I know, yes. Uh, why? Why do you ask that question? Because they speak Spanish like their mother tongue. And I said, yeah. And do you know why? And he said, yeah. You know what I found so encouraging was that they speak English. They don't need to speak any other language. They can go pretty much to anywhere in the world and they'll probably be able to get by. But because God called them to a particular nation, they've gone and learned the language and they speak like a native. And that was so encouraging to that person who was living in this country and had to learn the language to get by with life. You, um, you can probably get away with it, but um, if, if you don't, but I want to encourage you to do it because then you can share the gospel with the natives in this country as well. And that opens up quite a lot of uh, possibilities. But it's just so great to see how our brothers and sisters respond to the gospel, respond to the call that God has placed in their lives. Uh, and I want to encourage you to learn, to see and learn from it. Uh, the Bible does um, call us and encourage us to encourage one another. We can learn from one another as well. So thank you so much for being who you are. April, uh, when you go back, give our love to Peter. Uh, and it's great to have you here with us. So the church in Revelation. Uh, as Simon said last week, we're not going to follow them in, a, in the particular order as they're in the book. But today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 11. And we're going to look at the church in Smyrna. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. If you haven't, the words will be on the screen. Um, 
if you're a Christian and you haven't got a Bible, please do come and talk to me at the end. Um, maybe we can sort you with some. So, Revelation 2, 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulations. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Amen. Just a few short verses, um, but we can clearly tell that the church in Smyrna is under persecution. Just a bit of background on the actual city. Um, it's in today's day Turkey, and it's the city that is called Izmir today in western Turkey. Has anyone been to Izmir in here? Wow! Excellent. Oh, quite a few hands. Amazing. Um, I've had the privilege of being there. It's the city that Helmut and Judith come from. Uh, if you remember them, they came here a few years ago. Um, the German couple that lead the church in Izmir, the Lifehouse Church in Izmir. Um, Helmut actually came and preached here at Jubilee a few years ago. And we went to visit them there. And I had the privilege of worshipping with the people of God in Izmir. Worshipping Jesus Christ in a church in Izmir, the church that Jesus is addressing here. So, it's a city in western Turkey. Um, it's got a population of around 3 million there or so. Um, it's a very good location uh, in terms of economics, uh, it's even historically. It's a port city with a good harbour. Um, and they claimed that uh, they were the first and the best city in Asia. Even on their coins at the time, there was um, something related to it, that to say the first city of Asia in size and beauty. And it is a beautiful city, uh, to be fair to them. Um, I'm not sure if they're the first, because um, my city was. Um, it's a great city of natural beauty. Uh, it's got great natural beauty and um, a long history, a very long history of loyalty to Rome. Um, so a bit of background, and uh, they had a very big temple, and it was dedicated um, to one of the goddesses of uh, Rome. And in another temple it said, um, Nero, the saviour of the whole human race. So you can tell that they, they were in love with Rome, with the authorities, or they were flattering them just to get by with life. Um, so this is a bit of background on... Izmir. So, what is Jesus saying to the church in Izmir? He starts by introducing himself, saying who he is, um, but he introduces himself as the first and the last, and the one who died and came to life. Um, normally, when you introduce yourself, you start by being a bit humble and just usually saying your first name and your last name. If it's for a professional meeting, you probably give your title as well, what your job is and why, what your position is within a particular company and what you do. Uh, you don't normally start with your uh, whole history of um, 
achievements. You don't start by saying, I've got this and this and this and that, a few degrees, a few PhDs. But what Jesus does is here, in here is he's introducing himself and he says, I'm the first and the last. So what does that mean? Is he blowing his own trumpet? Um, let's see this first and last. What happened to him? In Isaiah, we read Isaiah 53. Um, it's a very famous passage. It says that he was actually rejected. This person, the very same Jesus who says, I am the first and the last, was rejected. He was beaten. And then later on, we read in uh, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he couldn't even open his mouth to say, what are you doing? Come on, stop it. He wouldn't do anything. They would beat him. He wouldn't do anything. So, how is it the first and the last? The one who tells the church he's the first and the last, the one who's speaking to a church that is being persecuted, we could clearly tell from the passage, he was persecuted himself. The Bible is very clear about what Jesus had to go through. So, Jesus says, Look, you're suffering, you are being persecuted. I've been there, I've done that, been there, horrendous, I know what it feels like, but remember, I am the first and the last, because again, we read in Isaiah, let me actually read it to you, Isaiah 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, beside me there is no God. So, Jesus himself is speaking to the church in Ismina or Ismir and saying, I know you're being persecuted, I know what you're going through, you think, well, people say you're poor, but you're not, you're rich, because you have me. It doesn't say that very directly, but that's the reason. But then he says, I am the first and the last. Jesus is encouraging the church in here. He's reminding them of who he is, but before that, what he had to go through. Many Christians uh, at the time uh, had to give their lives because of their faith. It only seems appropriate that a person like Jesus himself would actually go and talk to the church. Somebody else from the outside who's living a normal life in another part of the land and able to share the gospel might have not been able to go and say, you're doing a great job, you're being persecuted, hang on there. But Jesus himself was the most appropriate person to actually go to them and say, this is who I am, hang on. I'm not saying that we can't encourage our brothers and sisters just because we're not going through the same as they are. In fact, when back home when um, things were getting very difficult at times, uh, it was good to know that people from outside the country are praying for you. It was good to know that Christians from across the world are praying for you. I mean, it was here when we came here um, and a couple of years later that I found out that at one point people in many different countries in West Europe, including the UK uh, and other uh, countries, and a couple of countries in the South America were praying for us at the times that we were going through some really hard trials. At times where persecution was going really up and up and high, we wouldn't know about it at the time, but we, when we came here, we found out that people, Christians, the people of God were praying for us. And it's so encouraging to know that they could have done anything else because they can live a normal life, they can share the gospel, nobody will tell them off, nobody will persecute them. 
physically at least because of their faith in Jesus. But they do decide to do what the Bible has called them to do and lift up their brothers and sisters before God. So keep doing that as a church. There are quite a lot of people here who've had to flee their countries um, for different reasons. But there are some who've actually had to leave because of their faith. Because they believed in Jesus and they said, we're not going to compromise. I'm going to believe in the Jesus that the Bible talks about. And the Jesus that the Bible talks about is God and Savior. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one and only to be worshipped. And I'm not going to compromise and I'm going to stick to it. No matter what the cost. And the cost could be really high for some. But there are some in here who have actually gone through the same thing as people in Izmir had gone through in the past. And you can see how God preserves the church. Now, in that city that Jesus talked to many years ago, there are still people, Bible-believing, spirit-filled people, that gather together to worship God. The very same Jesus who spoke to the church around 2,000 years ago. But as Christians, no matter where we live, when you come to Christ, there are things that you'll have to give. You've got to give something. It's, Christian life is not just like receiving and not giving anything else. Jesus does talk about it very frankly and open. If you want to come and follow me, you'll have to leave quite a lot of things behind. Any person committed to Jesus will have to be prepared. If you are committed to him, you'll have to be prepared to give things. You never know what this country is going to be like within the next few years or so. Hopefully, it will carry on to be a place where the name of God is being spoken in many different places, like here. Um, My hope is that it would carry on to be a place where people of God are growing in their faith and are being sent to different places in the world. It will be a place where the legacy of Christian faith will carry on. But we just don't know what's going to happen. I'm just so glad that the Queen, uh, every Christmas, puts Jesus Christ in the center of Christmas. Very openly, she talks about Jesus being the reason for Christmas. She very openly talks about who Jesus is. Um, And we've got to pray that that would keep going, but we just don't know what's going to happen. However, Jesus does know, and sometimes we don't necessarily need to know because you'll just retract. They say, oh, it's too big. I can't bear with it. It's too frightening. It's too scary. I don't want to be part of it. So sometimes it's good for us not to know. But even if it's scary, hang on. Jesus is there. He's been there, done that. He's gone through even worse. So he can come and take us through it. It's only faith in him that can really enable us to carry on. Jesus is saying, This is me, the first and the last. The church in Izmir very clearly knows what Jesus had to go through. They know that Jesus actually died on the cross and he rose again and now he's saying I'm the first and the last. Jesus is saying that that life doesn't end with persecution. That life with him doesn't end with persecution. Persecution might be part of it. Difficulties might be part of the life of a Christian but it's just not all about it. It's it's not going to end with it. But life itself, it actually starts and ends with him, Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian here and you've had to go through suffering, then know that your suffering is not the end of it. It's not just going to finish there and that's it. That life itself is going to end with Jesus Christ. 
in eternity. I just love the word that Neville brought about eternity. So it's not just about now. It's not about the next few years. It's not about what am I going to do within the next few years. It's not how, I, how am I going to get through it. It's I'm going to be with him for eternity. I'm going to spend all eternity with him. And isn't that amazing? If you're a Christian, you know that it is because without him, uh, life wouldn't mean much. I can't bear the thought of how I lived without him for many, many years. He was dead and came to life. Jesus did die on the cross. Um, it wasn't that some sort of something happened, uh, he was taken up somewhere. No, the Bible is very clear. Jesus did die on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He came to life. And, you know, as a result of that, that's going to happen to us because we believe in him. So what happened to him was that he died and rose again. And because of that, we claim that victory over ourselves. No matter what people were going through in Smyrna at the time, Jesus was well aware of it. He does say, I know what you're going through. But what does, what does he tell them afterwards? Because you know normally when people are going through some difficulties, when people are going through some hard times, what they would expect to hear is, oh, I know what you're going through and it's really difficult and I'm sorry, but you know what? I've got a solution for you. You know what? It's going to come to an end. Um, if you do this and that, it'll finish in a, in a day or two. Or, if you do what I did, it'll be fine. It just reminds me of the story as well. Uh, there was a story I read somewhere, I can't remember where, about you know, a, a boxing game. Uh, Raj is not here, he's quite a lot into it. You see, he had the gloves as well the other day. But there's, this trainer comes to, uh, to the person and says, Champ, you're doing well, you're doing amazing, well done, you're about to win, and he hasn't even touched you once. Then the guy says, you might want to keep an eye on the referee because somebody is beating the daylight out of me and I don't know who it is. So it's either him or the referee. There's only two people in here. So um, Jesus doesn't come like that trainee and say, oh, yeah, don't worry, you're doing well. Nobody's touched you. He actually says, I know what's happened. I know what's happening. Uh, one of the uh, church leaders, uh, Polycarp, he actually died because of his faith. They killed him. So the church tradition says that he was burnt alive because of his faith in Jesus. And you know what? As he was being killed, I'm sure he would have probably remembered what Jesus said. I know what you're going through. Hang on. Jesus never told the church in his mirror, I know what you're going through, but look, nobody's touched you. They wouldn't dare come around you because they know I'm there. They wouldn't dare touch you. You're great, aren't you? You're having a great life. You've got all the money you needed. And you're doing amazing. So hang on there. It'll all be sorted. And you'll be finished tomorrow, I promise, 12 o'clock. But Jesus never said that. He said, I know what you're going through, but hang in there, because you know what? Another 10 days is going to come. The devil is going to have a go at you. It's going to get even worse. Some of you are going to be in prison. Some of you are going to, to die. Because Jesus tells them, hang on and be faithful up to the point of death. How does that feel to you? Hearing that in the 21st century UK, if somebody says to you, you've got to keep your faith in Jesus even to the point of death. <laughs> Some of you might find it funny. It is in the Bible though. Um, but you know what? Quite a lot of people are going through that. Quite a lot of people in the world at the moment, 
today are going through it. I know it doesn't end just with the Middle East. It's not just today's day Iraq and Syria. Although there's some sort of ethnic cleansing going on, the people have had to, to leave their homes. Uh, one of the most ancient Christian communities in those two countries have had to be displaced. I've had the privilege of meeting some of them in Turkey, in the church in Yalova. They've found a new home in Yalova. They are part of the church in Yalova, a Bible-believing, spirit-filled church. And you know what they did? They had never, never heard a single complaint about any of them, about what had happened to them. Instead, they were all filled with worship and the joy that only God can give you. And I witnessed it myself while I was there. All they did was talking about Jesus and the plans that he has for them, despite whatever that's going on back home, and let's keep worshipping Jesus, let's keep teaching our children about him, and let's see what he has for us. Look at the map there. The areas in red are generally the ones that persecute Christians the worst. My home country usually has the privilege of being amongst the first few in quite a lot of things, and this is probably one of them. Um, the, the rest of them are persecuting Christians. So you can imagine the extent of Christian persecution going on in the world. There's a bit in, uh, in the Americas as well, but there wasn't just enough space to put it in there. But that gives you the scale of the persecution. I think it's probably only a bit of Europe that is not part of it, and maybe a bit of uh, the Africa and Australia, and parts of the America. That's huge. But you know what? I'm sure that people in many parts of that world, particularly the parts in here, are hearing the words of Jesus. They know that the persecution might not end tomorrow. They're aware that it might just continue and carry on, but they decide to be faithful and remain faithful to him. How are we going to respond to it, Jubilee? How are you going to respond to the words of Jesus? What's your response to the words that you had? If the persecution comes in, what are you going to do? Are we prepared as a church? Are we prepared? We don't prepare for persecution, but are we prepared to take on the words of Jesus, although they don't sound very promising, they don't sound very nice, I know there's another generation of persecution coming on, are you going to hang on? Are you ready? Jesus is telling that to church, not to scare them, but he's just saying, look, I know what's going to happen and I know what's to come, but I just want you to be ready. How about the church ready? They didn't get swords out. They didn't get an army of big, muscly people like me around them to protect them. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> But, instead, they were prepared in their hearts. They kept spreading the gospel. One of the leaders died in 156 AD. That was after this letter had reached the church. And they were still prepared. In fact, there's a church tradition to say that before he was killed, uh, he was given the option uh, to renounce his faith in Jesus and therefore carry on living. And then he said, look, I've, lived, I've believed in Jesus for all these years and he's never done anything wrong to me. How can I renounce him? And he didn't. And he died. And I can imagine him having the scroll, reading it to his chair saying, 
there's another few years or days or months of persecution coming and Jesus says hang on there and that's all I have for you let's pray together let's believe in Jesus let's worship him let's pray together so that God would preserve us together and then he's taken away to renounce your faith or you die and he died and I'm sure many other re- leaders were raised in the church to come up and say the same thing and the same thing again and the same thing again hang in there God's with us there's quite a lot of things about the ten days you see but when Jesus talks about the ten days there's quite a lot of things you can talk about in terms of symbolism but one thing that is for sure is that Jesus says that so that the church knows it's something temporary it's not going to last forever it's not going to last some people say it's literal ten days some people say it's a whole series of ten days I know the answer I'm not so sure what I'm sure about is Jesus says that so that we know it's temporary and what's interesting is that Jesus has no criticism for this church Jesus doesn't say repent or do this and do that I've got this for you and you're great at this but I've also got something against you he's got nothing against his church isn't that amazing the church that is being persecuted Jesus has nothing against them because he knows that the times are hard but they still hang on you see Jesus says you are poor but then he says no you're rich some people think you are poor why is that because as Christians they even had to pay a price with their finances as Christians they had to pay a price for their businesses as they do around the world being a Christian means you've got no inheritance in the family being a Christian means that you can't have a business being a Christian means you can't work even if you were quite wealthy before you come to Christ that's all gone and that becomes a point for many people around you to ridicule you to say oh you believed in Jesus you had quite a lot before you come to him and now he's taken it all away my response is it's fine I've got it all with him I'm happy to give more than I have but I'm not going to give Jesus I'm not going to renounce my faith in him and I think that's what we need to encourage one another in this is the point that maybe the churches in the West aren't quite there yet with not because you have to live in the midst of persecution in order to understand what, it's, uh, what people are going through I think we have a good understanding of it because we have people from those churches and we are involved with churches in, that, in those parts of the world and we do keep praying for them in every opportunity that we have in our prayer meetings there's quite a lot, number of times that we pray for a persecuted church or we pray for our brothers and sisters who had to flee their home countries and come here so I think as a church we probably have a better picture compared to quite a lot of other churches and we need to help them to understand that but one thing that we've got to remember is that Jesus wins that he calls us to persevere when the times are hard he calls us to know that he is the first and the last he is the beginning and the end and we read in Colossians he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation so if times are hard well nothing new Jesus told us already if there's persecution if you had to flee persecution and that's caused you quite a lot of difficulties then know that God's in control know that if you had to leave some family behind God has given you a greater family here know that if there's persecution 
Jesus is the first and the last. Know that if you are going through persecution, Jesus had to go through even more difficulties. He had to go through even worse things. And he actually gave his life. And in 1 John we read, Who is it to overcome except the one that who believes in Jesus Christ? You are being persecuted. You are in the midst of difficulties. You want to overcome? Believe in Jesus. I just love the fact that we don't have any other answer. Because there is no other answer to it. And I've never heard anything else being said at this church other than, well, Jesus is the answer. Whatever you're facing in life is Jesus. Sometimes people find it a bit irritating. Oh, come on, tell me something different. Oh, it's Jesus. Sorry, it's Jesus. That's all I can say. It's him. The name above all names. It's him who is the answer. So, uh, what I'd like to do now is, if I could ask the band to come up, please. Um, I think it'd be good to do a few things in prayer and in response. First of all, if you feel that life is difficult, if you feel that life is throwing all things at you because of your faith, then we know what to do. Lift up your hands and worship God. Give Him all the thanks and praise. Give Him all the honor and glory and thank Him because you know that is not the end. You know that the whole end is going to be spending eternity with Him. Also, I'd like us to pray for the persecuted church as well. I hope you found the map uh, helpful in order to understand the scale that, uh, of persecution against Christians. Let us pray for the persecuted church. We've got a number of nations represented here that actually, unfortunately, are part of that map. The, one of the countries in there where Christians are being persecuted. If you are from one of those nations, I want to encourage you to come, not on, only to the front, but around and ask people to pray for you and lift up your nation and the nations before God. And ask for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reign in your nation. You know, the main reason for me to pray for freedom for a country is that so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can reign in that country. That the gospel of Jesus Christ can spread through the country. Because what's the point of having political freedom if you can't go and talk to people about Jesus? So is that alright? Should we stand up together? Let's have a couple of representatives from the nations. McKinnon, from Eritrea. Spirit-filled Christians are being persecuted there because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they believe in the Jesus that the Bible talks about. So can I ask a few people to go around there and pray for Eritrea? We've got lots of Iranian brothers and sisters, including myself. Can I ask that we pray for Iran? Right at the back there. Pray for Iraq and Syria. Again, at the same time, over there. Pray for Afghanistan. Pray for North Korea. I did say that it's not all in the Middle East. It's all over the world. Are we up for that? Let's give God all the glory and honor because we know it doesn't end there. It ends with Him. Simon had something to... Offering. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> We're going to pass the buckets around, and then um, this is part of our worship. If you're a guest, please feel free to um, pass on the bucket. Uh, we're not after your money. We're just great, uh, grateful that you were able to join us today. But this is part of our worship. 
Um, we worship God with our finances as well. So once that's done, can we get into groups and pray for these countries that we have representatives from? Let's pray for Nigeria at the back there with Chris. Um, and don't forget to pray for this nation. Because God has brought us together here and is building his church in here. Don't forget to pray for this nation and not only the whole nation but for Teesside. Because you know what? God is doing a great thing in this part of the world. Let's, be, let's have great expectations, holy expectations of God for what he's doing in here. And let's pray for this nation and lift up the nations to the, before God.